My name is Verena. I'm one of the two founders of Kitchen Stories. We are a Berlin-based startup, six years old, and we want to make anyone cook. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hey folks, Garrett here. In this episode, we introduce Verena Huberts, WHU alum and co-founder of Kitchen Stories. Kitchen Stories provides delicious step-by-step -step photo and video recipes through their beautiful and user-friendly web and mobile applications. Today we'll be discussing Farina's founder story, creative content creation, being tech-focused, and so much more. As someone who loves to geek out on cooking videos online, I had a blast making this episode. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. Well, Verena Huberts, thank you so much for having me in your lovely offices here in Berlin been looking forward to having this conversation with you for quite some time. Um, you are uh, well recognized around VHU and I think everybody loves your business. So thank you so much for having me here today. Thanks for coming over. I'd like to start talking to you a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. It's something that we do with kind of all of our all of our guests on the episodes. Mm -hmm. um, understanding a little bit where you come from and kind of how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, so basically, I was never in touch with entrepreneurship prior to studying at WHU. So I'm um, born and raised in Trier, not too far off Koblenz, where uh, WHU is based. And I only joined WHU for my master studies. And during my bachelor's, I did a couple of internships in big corporates. And I always knew this is not what I wanted to do. But I didn't really connect the dots and felt that the entrepreneurial journey um, was something that this is what I want to do. But um, at WHU, I got in touch with the whole startup ecosystem. I met founders who were telling their stories. And suddenly I realized, wow, there's another way to how you could build your career and build something that you are passionate about. And then at WHU, back in 2011, I also met my co-founder Mengting. And um, she was a lot into entrepreneurship, looking into different ideas already after her bachelor's, which she also completed there. And she wanted to start her company, but didn't really have the perfect founding partner, not the right idea. So luckily we met and um, we were actually looking into a burrito chain first. Um, so bringing Chipotle over to Germany, that was the initial idea. Luckily, we didn't do it because restaurant businesses are really hard to scale. But this idea actually made us move to Berlin. Um, because I studied in um, the US um, in Nashville, Tennessee for half a year and I fell in love with burritos. We have the WHO people who started Verts in the US. So we kind of thought uh, kebabs and burritos are kind of opposite would work. And then we came to Berlin summer of 2013 and we were looking for restaurants and um, we're planning on a business case starting a burrito chain. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Well, as someone that grew up in Texas, I would say 
Tennessee doesn't have very good burritos, yeah. but I've been, <laughs> it's an idea that my family and I have been talking about yeah. for 20 years. There was never good Mexican food here, but you're right. Yeah. The a restaurant business is a, is, is a tough one. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So how did you go from the idea of doing a restaurant mm -hmm. into what you're doing now? Yeah, then we had our flat, our Gründer-WG, and then we're um, sitting there um, dismissing the burrito idea, and then we did what we learned at business school. So basically screening markets, screening industries, um, looking into healthcare, fashion, food. But we only ever got excited when it was around food. It wasn't rational, nothing. It was just what we were both really interested in. And um, Mengting, my co-founder, she was always watching cooking shows online on YouTube, like Sarah Carey, Laura Vitelli, more American uh, faster formats. And I was like, well, I would need a video like this in order to cook. And Germany was all about long TV, Lafa Lichter formats. And she said, well, that would be awesome, but I don't cook on YouTube. It's not usable to pause and um, play and the recipe is in the description. So isn't there like a good app where you have video and the whole user experience um, from shopping to inspiration that, that actually makes it easy for you to cook? We looked into the app store. There wasn't any cooking app that we liked. They were all kind of ebook, PDF-like and we felt this can't be it. Let's build the best cooking app out there that the two of us would want to use. Were you, were you particularly into cooking before you started this business? No, so I'm um, actually somebody who really needs kitchen stories. So I'm, um, I, I was always confused um, when it said dice it up, cook until it's done. So I'm more like a newbie and I need guidance and I need step photos. I need videos. And um, Meng Ting, she's a hobby chef. Um, so we wanted to build a product that the two of us would want to use. Did you start with mobile then yes. with the idea was... It, to make it more accessible in the kitchen and not having a laptop sitting next to your stove? Or? Yeah, and we also saw the whole trend about desktop um, traffic declining. Um, we live and breathe our smartphones these days. The I iPad was coming out um, back then. And also, if you look into the market, we were entering the recipe market. Everybody has recipes, um, publishers, TV um, companies, um, appliance companies, the FMCG industry, like recipes are not needed anymore. And online, um, you can't compete with 100 recipes if there's pages like Chef Koch or all recipes. So we wanted to enter a saturated market with a better product. And the best product offering for us back in the day was the iPad because it was kind of bringing an offline cookbook into the digital world. You could have beautiful large photos, nice design, great UX. And it was also the only way we could afford to enter the market because as you might imagine, we're like 24 years old, 25. And we were trying to, we build another business plan, another pitch deck, and we were contacting um, business angels and investors. And they said, um, guys, have you ever built an app? Have you ever done a recipe? Have you ever done a video? And you say, no, we studied business. And they said, well, good luck. Why can you do a better job than um, Dr. Oetker or Nestle or Bosch? And you say, you say, well, look at it there must be a better digital product. And then nobody wanted to invest, so we decided. So we were actually thinking about, do we find a job now in the corporate world or do we just 
do it. And we decided to bootstrap, sell Mengting's car, do the Friends Family Fools round, 25K, start a German GmbH and then um, get it going. I'm, I'm always interested in you know f the first mover advantage versus other businesses kind of priming the market. And and forgive me, I, I don't like talking about maybe they're not competitors, but in the U.S. there the there has been Epicurious and Tasty and some of these things. Had they established presence in the U.S. markets yet? Did you have something to point to, or were you really having were you ahead of the game and having to present this as a very different concept? Um, those folks were already out there in the US. We didn't have anything like this in Germany. And I think what also distinguishes us from Tasty or Tastemade and stuff is um, they, back in the day, were focusing a lot on catchy social media food content. And um, for us, it's all about the cooking journey. So how do you embed shopping? How do you um, really get people to cook and not only to see a great melting cheese video on, on Facebook. And um, so to bring content and tech together to also think, and it's also our future of where we want to head about personalization and um, we us telling you what you can cook tonight until before you can actually tell me because we know what's in your fridge, we know what you like and um, those two um, things coming together. Yeah. So would you call yourself a technology company? Yes. Or a media company, a technology. Tech company, yeah. yes, definitely. But you're really in the in the business of content creation and content marketing, yeah. Um, so and so, so we do have um, 50 employees now, and um, a large part of the team is tech and product, and we also have a business intelligence team constantly analyzing the data, the user journeys, um, identifying trends. And of course, the beauty is that we do have the content creation part uh, within the company as well, but we're really tech-driven. Um, we analyze, uh, for example, the most important KPI for us is the cooking index, because only if people, our users, cook a recipe, they retain, they return, they share. And um, we definitely want to transfer the recipe into a machine-readable code. So we know what's easy for you might not be easy for me. What you like um, as an ingredient is nothing that I might like. To come up with personalization in the food context, and this is a whole tech uh, tech game, and a lot of tech companies try to solve the issue, but they don't want to do content. So you need both in order to solve the cooking case at least. Can you share a little bit for some people that maybe don't know your business very well, mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about the business model itself and sure. how you how it makes money, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yes. Um, so um, starting off with 100 recipes um, and bootstrapping, we made money 
zero, uh, pre-launch already. So we called up our favorite brands like um, KitchenAid, Le Creuset and um, Landliebe, Rosenthal. And we convinced them to be our partners in terms of product placement. And they paid 20K, not in products, but in money pre-launch. And having 25K and making 20K is great if you are just about to launch your product. So um, Kitchen Stories monetizes on a B2B setup, starting with product placement, moving now over in the last couple of years to branded entertainment, branded content. Um, so an example is um, we would do a baking campaign together with Dr. Edgar because we can tell Dr. Edgar we know what recipes are trending, what people are looking for. We um, come up with a storyline, for example, around Mother's Day. We develop the recipes. Um, we can also analyze the data afterwards and tell you who was baking which cake and what else the user is interested in. So it's something that, where they would normally engage with a couple of agencies. And for us, it's all out of one hand. So it's content, it's media, it's insights. And that's our B2B-driven business model. But of course, we didn't start a company um, to be... Um, we only... Or our dream is to build a company where the user, the B2C user, is actually seeing a value where they are willing to pay for because the product right now is for free. Um, you don't pay... And you can do whatever with it. But we see a lot of subscription um, model revenue potential moving forward of problems that we can solve in the kitchen of the future. For example, meal planning, some add-on features. So we want to come up with more like an Amazon Prime um, approach and bundle a couple of uh, premium features and make you pay two euros, three euros, four euros a month. And then that's a complete um, new um, revenue stream, and we're not there yet, but we're um, we're just about to um, pilot the first features. That's the great thing about cooking is yeah. everybody does it, and we always have needs. Yeah. <laughs> I I had a business in the loyalty space, and for us, the holy grail was mm. was the grocery chains because it's a recurring recurring spend. Mm. It's where we shop most often. So mm. it's, uh, I imagine there are so many opportunities that you can expand into. Definitely. We have a large platform, a lot of mm. traffic, and you can monetize in various directions. What's interesting, I think, is that you started off with a business model that was B2B. Mm. And my gut instinct is that was strategically brilliant because it allowed you to focus on really a, a primary metric of of attracting users yeah. more than anything. The more users you attracted, the more revenue you could charge the B2B. Definitely. Did that streamline yes. your operations early on? Yes, definitely. Um, so we were actually um, thinking about whether we should turn the company profitable or scale because um, definitely there's a lot of value in, in the B2B side. But if you want to monetize via the end consumer, you also need to invest in tech and the tech team. And um, it's really slow if you can only ever hire one more developer if you get one more customer in. So we also decided to go for venture capital in order to, yeah, to build all of that um, um, data ontology in order to, to have the opportunity to monetize um, our assets um, on the B2C side. I want to ask you about venture capital in a second, but I'd like to ask you still about the, uh, the bootstrapping side of things yeah. because um, – you built a technology company. From the sounds of it, neither one of you were coders or developers or engineers. Um, you got a small friends and family round to get this thing off the ground. Um, you know, one of the things I see with 
people coming out of business school particularly is um, we need a technical co-founder, we need developers. Mm -hmm. um, how, were, how did you go from not having that experience to building technology? How did you find the technical talent to help build your company? Yeah, I think not having a lot of money uh, makes you solve the issue. So we um, chose the iPad because it was a really, um, yeah, really limited launch platform and something that we could have a student develop. So we were um, traditionally looking into Xing and LinkedIn and just contacting um, students who said that they would be good iOS developers. So we found our first um, iOS developer, told him to develop the iPad app. It took him one day a week, five months. And we could afford them because you can't hire like a full stack person to build iOS, Android web at once and really to focus on one thing and make it right. Because what did investors say? We don't need another cooking app. And your MVP can't be a little bit of a pitch mock-up setup. You really need to have a product in your hand and feel that it's better, that it is a better user experience. So the iPad with the student developer, and then we had a young design agency that mentioned you from one of our startup um, internships. So connect as much as you can so you know people to contact or who to ask for uh, once you need the resources and the people. Um, then we had two chefs that we found on LinkedIn. We told them to develop 100 recipes. We test cooked all of the recipes in our home kitchen, in our Kunda uh, kitchen. And I was cleaning dishes, Mengting was the hand model, and that's all we needed to get started. And we had an um, Airbnb place in Brandenburg outside of Berlin, because obviously we couldn't afford a show kitchen in the middle of the city. <laughs> Man, what a fun startup experience. Yeah, I, bet I can you did show a lot you some timeline huh? photos later. This is actually quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, I am curious about your capitalization mm -hmm. as well. It sounds like you you kind of rolled the rolled the stone down the hill a little ways before you decided to capitalize. Mm -hmm. One of the stories I hear so much in Germany still is start a business, first thing we do is we take on investors. Yeah. I, I've made that mistake yeah. once before myself okay. and it changes changes the way you live as a as yeah. a founder. Can you tell me strategically how you kind of went from bootstrapping to deciding to take on some bigger money? Yeah, so we um, it took us five months bootstrapping the company until we launched. And then um, we wanted to speak to investors again once we could show traction and once we could show the product. And um, I mean, we could have raised money um, pre-launch, but it would have taken us probably a year because we didn't have any track record and nobody was convinced of the business model. So it would probably be in some dentists or golf people we would have found along the along the way. But uh, we believe that we can create more value by just um, going the risk away, proving that it can work. And we said, if this fails, then we will just... What is the risk involved in the early days? It's like a gap year, basically, if you do it right out of uni and you have like limited uh, funding involved. So uh, we believe that we could create a higher um, value and easier ways of um, raising capital once we are live. And uh, we knew that we need um, we needed some um, some external funding in order to really scale it up because development is expensive. And as a startup, you also don't want to be slow. If you believe in the market and then if you believe in, in, in your product and you want to accelerate your vision. Um, so what happened? We launched Kitchen Stories on the iPad in February 2014. And we called it a silent launch because we couldn't really do any QA code control because we couldn't code. Um, and we were afraid that it might break down. So 
once we hit the submit button, um, we didn't tell anybody about it and just wanted to see what happens. And then we got an email by Apple and they said, hey, guys, we like your app. And they featured us as best new app in um, we started in English and German right away. So we were featured in 10 countries. And um, this gave us 60,000 downloads within the first couple of weeks. And then suddenly all the investors that turned us down in the very first place, um, they were coming back to us and said, ah, if Apple likes it, it looks really cool. Can we be part of it? Wow. So did you not have a, did you not execute a strategy for customer acquisition? I imagine you, you didn't have a lot of budget and you were, you were trying to push it down the road before you raised capital. Um, customer acquisition, especially in the digital space, can be expensive. I think a lot of people build apps and think, oh, if we build it, they're just going to show up. Is that what happened in your case? You just kind of put it out there and Apple picked it up and that yes. steamrolled you, huh? Yeah, but we, of course, set some money aside for, for like a marketing campaign, but luckily we didn't need it. And still until today, we have generated 18 million in downloads and we haven't spent a single cent on marketing yet. Wow. Wow. That's incredibly unique. What's What do you think the secret sauce is? What made you, was it a great user experience? Was it a timely, a timely app in the marketplace? I believe our marketing spend is our tech investment because um, let's say there's a new Apple product coming out like the Apple Watch or Apple TV um, or iOS um, 13. Um, they always need publishers, developers to embed the latest Apple or Google features. And us as a startup, we can be really, really fast. And all of our tech people, they love new technology. So they know that the dark mode is coming and they want to play around with it. And by showcasing um, the best, like always being the, the first in the game and um, using and implementing the latest features, this is actually our marketing invest because this gives us um, a continuous relationship um, to Google and to Apple and um, giving them a reason to uh, yeah, feature us and um, connect. When Apple picked you guys up mm -hmm. the first time mm -hmm. and it got you the 60,000 downloads so mm -hmm. quickly, did you get a sense from them of why they decided to kind of pick this early stage startup out of the millions of apps that are out there? Um, they don't tell you, but um, I mean, we, our whole app was like a native iOS app. We perfectionized it um, for the iPad. Um, so everything was like flat design and um, and they love content and they also love the startup story. It's not like a big 
um, publishing company coming along, but a startup trying to live their dream. And via the Echo uh, system of the Apple App Store, you can be global from day one. And they also like to have like a, because the cooking market is very fragmented. There's all recipes doesn't operate in Germany. It's like, but we eat so international, like we go to international restaurants, but every platform is basically national. And um That's also something that they like because they always look for like global partners for global campaigns. And yeah, we also had Tim Cook, uh, the Apple CEO, coming to our office two years ago. And it was like one of the yeah most amazing moments. Wow. Wow. And what's your reach now globally? Obviously, Germany is your, I imagine, is your strongest market. What What are your other kind of strong points? Um, China and the US actually. Yeah. So we, um, with the first funding, we internationalize kitchen stories in 10 more languages. Um, amongst them, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Russian, Spain, uh, Spanish, uh, Italian, French, and China took off. Well, are they, is it because the Chinese are very interested in German cuisine? I imagine... You're not showcasing Chinese cuisine for the Chinese market well, or so and so. So they are interested in the Western cuisine and we do have a lot of they only know cheesecake from Starbucks, they know pizza from Pizza Hut. So um, we give them the original recipe, but um, also we do some Chinese recipes that they love, for example, for, Chin for Chinese New Year. And we can leverage that content here in um, the Western world because everybody loves dumplings. Um, so we don't see the, the reason for, um, for borders uh, in the food space and the food market. Um, so it works both ways. Do you have any particular recipes or stories that you guys have put online that have been the biggest successes? Yeah, I mean, one of them is the Manhattan cheesecake. It's one of the first 100 recipes. It's been cooked and prepared so many times already. Um, then um, what also always works really well is like one pot dishes. Um, we have like a one pot pasta that's, uh, that's a really a successful one or the buttermilk pancake. So um, everyday delicious and easy to prep um, recipes are what, what our users like 80% of the time. But we also have like some fancy stuff uh, for the festive seasons. Yeah. Hey, I saw in your app today there was some like Julia Child recipes, yeah. and I was thinking that's probably a little more intensive than a one-pot yes. crock-pot yeah, recipe. You need both the yeah. um, aspirational content and the everyday content. So, what is your uh, what are your demographics like? Is it mostly young people that are looking for these more simple dishes? Or are you getting some? Is it a pretty broad range? Yeah, yeah so we're, like our target persona is between 25 and uh, 44. So. Uh, first job, uni just completed, um, kids are coming and you need, um, yeah, everyday um, variation, um, how to organize, um, how to, yeah, organize uh, your week, what you can also bring to to work as a lunch, but what is a nice uh, weeknight dinner. Um, so family cooking um, and, uh, yeah, um, that's uh, more our demographic. But we also have the young people, the 16 to uh, 18 um, or 20, who uh, don't know how to cook and um, they are trying to do some first recipes. I, uh, I brought some VHU students to my hometown of Boulder, Colorado this mm -hmm. summer, okay. taught, taught a class there. And one of the people I introduced them to is a VC that specializes okay. in the food industry. Yeah. And we were talking to him about some of the trends okay. um, that they're investing in, in particular. Okay. Uh, um, meatless meat is okay. a big one. Yeah. Keto is another yeah. big one. Are you guys kind of tracking some of these cuisine trends and nutritional trends and following them as well? Or are you focusing more on, you know, the quality and the taste of the food? 
Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want to be an app for vegan recipes or like any specific diet because we believe um, in in the broad um, scene of things. But um, of course, we do get a lot of requests for uh, paleo and uh, other cuisines and what we want to do. And this is also an important strategic step that we completed um, this summer is that we opened up kitchen stories. So um, we opened it up for user generated community content. So users, bloggers and brands, they can upload their own recipe on kitchen stories. And if you're looking for keto, then there's a keto recipe because um, there will be users sharing their recipe. Piece. And um, ultimately, if we think about our vision of um, providing you with the perfect recipe in the perfect moment, you need more content than uh, you can create editorially. So the quant- quantity needs to be larger. So it's um, we will be catering these instances in the future, but not with our own editorial power. The idea of integrating user-generated content is, is uh, interesting because it creates the quantity of of information, but mm-hmm. it can sometimes compromise the quality. I always think of mm-hmm. Airbnb as the classic example, right? Where they ended up having to bring in professional photographers to people's homes mm-hmm. before they could really start getting market traction. How do you deal with the quality of the content? And you might have yeah. low resolution. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I mean, you have such beautiful uh, imagery and videos on your platform. I imagine you get a lot of content that doesn't look like that. How do you find that balance? Um, so we have an editorial review process. So every recipe that's being submitted needs to be reviewed. And then, of course, you have the um, quality differences. Some some are beautiful, some are, I would say, mediocre. And um, uh, But 30 to 40% of the recipes ch- look really, really great. Like people put a lot of passion and uh, work into uh, getting a good quality. And we also want to teach our users how to improve the f- uh, photography of their um, home cooked meals. Um, but what we do, of course, is that we um, curate um, the front feed. Um, so if you open up Kitchen Stories, um, you will always find um, Kitchen Stories recipes and a hand-selected um Um, variety of community content and then if you search for a recipe and there is no kitchen stories recipe there's no kitchen stories blogger partner or um, high um, evaluated uh, recipe then we might uh, then you can choose if you want to take that recipe or you choose the kitchen stories alternative that might be not not be it but is um, yeah from a professional environment it's kind of like the apple app store the first page always looks beautiful Uh, because it's the most downloaded apps. Apple also has some apps, but if you search for something like maybe some rock climbing, fancy niche product and nobody provided it, but that little uh, guy from Munich and it's ugly, but it still serves its purpose, you can still decide if you want to use it or not. So I want to bring it back to your entrepreneurial side. I could mm-hmm. I could talk cooking all day, but uh, mm-hmm. um, you know we've got a lot of people that are listening to this that are potentially in the same position you were five years ago, mm-hmm. five 
five or six years ago, I guess, six <laughs> years ago, and uh, thinking about becoming entrepreneurs, um, looking at different markets and different opportunities. You know, I, I think the times are evolving quite quickly mm -hmm. these days. Um, what kind of advice do you have for, let's say, someone who is in your position in Vehu that is uh, as aspiring to get into the digital game? Did you Do you have some lessons learned that could be really valuable that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think three. Um, one of them, uh, definitely to find something that you're passionate about. I mean, some people are incentivized by a business model. Some people are incentivized by a topic. But you need to be eager to really find your way in the market um, or the problem that you are willing to solve. Because most of the time, and this is my second tip, things go wrong. Your first business model, business plan is not, not going to work out. Um, so persistency is, I think, the most valuable thing that you need as a startup founder. And coming to startups always looks so much fun. People playing table tennis, uh, fun offices, um, club mate and free beer. But... Most of the time, it is um, things not going right and um, things going wrong and um, screw-ups and persistency in order to believe that you will find a way into in the market with the right team, which leaves me uh, with my third um, um, recommendation, uh, which is... Um, find the right team and partner to start a company with. Because that's also what some investors told us. Um, I'd rather invest in an A team with a B idea than a B team with the A idea because the A idea might probably not work out, but a good team is going to find a way in the market. And um, that's why for me, um, Mengting um, and I, we perfectly complete each other because she likes the whole product and content side of things and I'm more into the business side. Um, so sales, finance, HR, and um, the legal um, aspects. Um, so that that's working really well. And we were also friends, which worked out well for us. So it's not like a casted group of McKinsey consultants that get to start a company with some external funding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you said so much there, so many things I could unpack. But one of the things that I'm interested in is, you know, you starting the business with Meng Tang, you guys were both in business school together. Um, did you already have a sense how your roles would diverge and what your strong points were? Because the reason I'm asking this is, especially at Vehu, you have a, uh, a group of students come together. Mm -hmm. They want to start a business. There might be two or three of them. And they're basically the same person. Mm -hmm. they, have yeah. this, they have the same skill set, yeah. right? So um, you guys came from the same place. Did it take time through the business to realize that you were going to be more on one side and she was going to be more on the other? Yeah, it was a natural split because Mengting is really strong with the design and um, also back at school building PowerPoints and has a good feeling uh, um, for products and uh, user flows. And um, so it was a natural discussion that I wouldn't be doing mock-ups or screen, uh, screen designs. And um, also as the cooking newbie, um, that's not natural to then build a cooking app, but she was like such a heavy user of like all the apps out there. So she could, we actually didn't also look only into cooking apps. She looked a lot into Airbnb, like apps that she, where she loved the UX um, side of things. And that came completely natural. And for me being in sales was more like a, okay, we now need to convince the corporation partner. So uh, you do it. And uh, I like being out there talking to people, um, pitching. So it, luckily it came naturally, but um, for us moving into this, and maybe it's also good not to overthink things. We had the burrito chain as a trial if we would work out as a team. Because um, 
being friends doesn't mean that you can work together. And um, dismissing that idea, we knew we work each other, uh, we work as a good team and we complete each other. And now let's look for an idea. Awesome. Yeah. It's interesting you said Airbnb because when I opened your app, it reminded me <laughs> of that. It, it doesn't look like Air, Airbnb, yeah. but Airbnb has this really elegant and clean and simple aesthetic. Yeah. And I, I feel yeah. like you guys captured a little bit of that as well. The one other thing I wanted to ask you is you talked the first point that you made, which is passion. Yeah. So are you now a passionate cook? Um, when I cook, I am really passionate about it. I unfortunately don't get to cook that often, uh, but I'm passionate about food. Um, and um, and that is uh, really something that I love to be involved in. And um, I'm, I think, the, still a good um, test user because if I um, get to complete the recipe, then it works. Awesome. <laughs> I, you know, you, I love to hear that because so often entrepreneurs are thinking about how to transform business, but it's really cool sometimes when the business actually transforms the life of yeah, the entrepreneur sure. as well. <laughs> Cool. Well, I've got a couple questions I want to wrap up with. Um, I'm sorry in advance if they're painful, but I ask everyone these mm -hmm. and uh, actually gets usually get some interesting insights. Mm -hmm. So the first one is um, if you have a book on your bedside table or perhaps in your kitchen in this case, what uh, what book are you reading right now? Um, it's actually quite an interesting book uh, by a young journalist um, from um, Zeit, um, a German magazine, um, and he wrote a book. Um, he has um, roots in Morocco, and he came to Germany when he was like nine, and he wrote a book about how it is um, to be, it's called Unterweisen, um, how it is to be raised in Germany um, if you obviously don't look, and this is... Um, of course, what is German these days. But if you look like you were born um, or you have some um, some heritage um, um, from an international um, um, country and it was really eye-opening, like writing about racism out of his view and how people behave and, um, and also to challenge my own behavior um, after reading it, it was really, really impressive, yeah. Like that's a relevant subject right now. Too. It is, it yeah. is. And it's also with Mengting. I mean, um, her um, having been grown up in, in China, uh, we also get um, some remarks uh, every now and then. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it, shouldn't be the, it shouldn't be the case. Awesome. All right, one more. Since you are in Germany's music capital, what, yeah, yeah. what's on your playlist right now? A German singer, um, Thies Ullmann, um, he used to be um, the singer of the band Tomte, and he just released um, his um, third solo album, um, Scientist und um, Junkies und Scientologen, and um, yeah, currently listening to him. Awesome. Well, for Anna Hubert, thank you so much for inviting me here, taking yeah. the time to tell your story, and uh, it's a fascinating one, and we're very much looking forward to seeing where you and Kitchen Stories goes in the future. Thank you for coming and uh, all the best uh, for Fallenda and VHU and everybody, of course, listening who's not studying there. Well, folks, that was Farina Huberts, co-founder of my new favorite cooking app. Up next in episode nine, we'll introduce Stefan Schubert, founder of OnVista, Legatos, and IS Teledata, and for the past 15 years, investor and managing partner of STS Ventures and Cone. If you're interested in raising venture capital, building sustainable businesses, or simply hearing Stefan's fascinating founder story, be sure to check out this upcoming episode. Bis nächstes Mal!